Screw it, screw it, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. This is the podcast where we go over the original 41 issues, comic book issues of Spider-Man done by the original creative team of artist Steve Ditko and writer-editor Stan Lee. Um, I am one of your two co-hosts, my name is Will Hines. And I am the other co-host. My name is Kevin Hines. I am Will's brother. Yep, we are brothers. We are also both UCB, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater comedians and teachers. Um, and we're just middle-aged nerds who were fans of these comic books as kids, and we remain fans. And, you know, if you're a Spider-Man fan, we're, we're encouraging you to enjoy these issues, either by us talking about them, or maybe even just go get them yourself and, and read them on Marvel Unlimited or however you want to do it. Yeah, they're available in a lot of, I think they're on Comixology, they're on Marvel Unlimited. You can get them collected into the uh, Epic uh, runs, great power and great responsibility. There's a number of different ways to get these issues uh, beyond just like reprints and back issues and uh, uh, things like that. And um, Kevin, I'm so excited and I know that you're excited too. We are, this episode, we're going over issue 31 of Amazing Spider-Man, which begins... As Kevin and I have said to each other many times over the years, one of the best trilogies in superhero comics, bar none, absolute one of the peaks of certainly of 60s Marvel comics, but I would even say all comics. And we're beginning that trilogy with this issue. Yeah, I mean, at this time, this has got to be the best three issues that Marvel has put out. Oh, yeah. At this time, because even the Galactus Saga, which is maybe the only thing that competes with it, hasn't yeah, come out. Uh, that hasn't come out yet. I would count Galactus certainly as equal to this, like the Galactus saga and Fantastic Four and this are sort of like, you know, Jack Kirby with Galactus, Steve Ditko with this. It's their sort it's it's some of their peaks. Yeah. Uh, I mean Doctor Strange probably already had his peak mm-hmm. where uh mm-hmm. uh D- Ditko did like a storyline. Uh, like a, it was really long, like 10 or 11 issues. They're all half yeah, issues where like he yeah. was like being chased by trapped. a Dormammu or something. Yeah. He was like trapped in another dimension or something. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was part of it. It was just a lot. It was this is long yeah. ongoing story, but that's nothing compared to this really, because Dr. Strange never resonated with people as much as Spider-Man does. So uh, I want to set up a couple things here before we talk about the, story of the issue and i know i'm I'm, we've even got a couple segments before we we should just say this is uh issue 31 yeah and it's december 1965 is when it came out that's right okay go ahead well um this um this ends up being uh, there's many things i want to keep an eye on as we go through the story so as we've said many times uh the collaboration of spider-man between artist steve ditko and writer stanley was a really strange one where um uh, they they had they weren't getting along at this point, or at least they weren't communicating. And so Ditko would deliver art to Stan, having conceived of the whole story and everything himself. And then Stan would kind of have to look at the notes in the margins and guess what the dialogue should be. Although they must have had some sort of we've said before they must have conferred about some things. But also, yeah, there, was, there was some way Ditko was passing on some information to Stan, either if it was in, uh, notes to the editor. Uh, or, or placeholder dialogue. I'm not sure, but somehow he's getting some ideas across the stand beyond just the drawings. Yeah. But at this point, this is almost purely a Steve Ditko work. Although for sure, at least dialogue sure, is uh, for sure. The idea starts with Ditko now instead of with both of them. Yeah. 
And the other thing I want to keep an eye on is we're, we're winding down to the end of Steve Ditko's time at Spider-Man. Like he does have issues after this trilogy, but they're, they're more like one-off filler issues. This is truly the climax of his time at Spider-Man, this three-issue trilogy. Yeah, his last and actual issue is 38, but this issue, 31, 32, and 33, feels like the end of his run. Yeah, and it sort of wraps up the story of Spider-Man if you want it to. You could absolutely end the series after issue 33, and it's a natural ending. But it's it's the end of one of the... It's the end of the career of one of the founders of Marvel Comics. I mean, one of the giants is about to leave the picture. And it's really interesting to to know that as you read this. And the other thing I like to think about, and this is a real stretch, Kevin. I wonder what you think of this. I like to think of, this isn't 100% true, but I like to think of Peter Parker as like, as Steve Ditko's sort of avatar for himself, for his own personality. Um like the, 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 the sad part of Peter Parker, the lonely guy who is suffering and nobody knows it, who's got this secret power that his friends don't know about, uh, who's just trying to do his job well, but the world is against him. Um, I mean, it's a romanticized version, but I think that that is Steve Ditko. It is a version of Steve Ditko. And he, I think he's really putting himself into Parker. And I think that's especially true in issues like this one where we – we have more Peter Parker than we have Spider-Man. Your thoughts? I mean, I think that's true. I also think that is what everyone relates to with uh, Peter Parker, is that we look at him and we see a character who isn't appreciated for how great he really is, um, uh, is a good guy, does, is not perfect, but when the chips are down, he does the right thing always. Yeah. And nobody really appreciates that. It's rare when he gets recognition. He's not doing it for the recognition, but it's rare when he gets recognized as like, hey, this guy's good. This is somebody we should like. This is some, like things are, the world recognizes Peter is good. So things are starting to work out for him. Never really happens. And that's how we all feel or a lot of us feel a lot of the time, right? We, yes, we, we are the heroes of our story and nobody, everyone else doesn't think we're the heroes of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just because nobody is really. Uh, everyone's the hero of their own story, but we all feel like Spider Man. Yes, uh, I mean it's such an ingenious. I mean, the whole Spider Man universe is such an ingenious improvement on like the Superman story. Uh, you know, Superman is the initial. Clark Kent is really Superman, but Spider Man added this sort of like suffering aspect, and like nobody even knows, and 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 I don't. My personal life has all kinds of problems. This is the template for almost every superhero story that would come after to, to some degree. Yeah. I mean, modern comics owe more to Ditko Spider-Man than anything else, I would say, at least storytelling wise. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine a new character being created without some thought going to like the person inside the costume. Uh, I mean, and some of that is probably also the thing. Also had a little yep, bit of I that. totally um, agree. The thing, I mean, Kirby, if there's anybody who's bigger than Ditko, it's Kirby, of course, just in terms of yeah. volume and passion. And he's the king of Marvel Comics. No argument here. But, but you know, that, this was not special. This stuff was not in the Golden Age Captain America. It definitely wasn't in the Golden Age Superman or Batman or any of those superheroes. It wasn't really in the Silver Age characters that strongly. Like their issues were soap opera issues for sure. 
you know, yeah. Barry Allen always being late and like not making it to his date on time, and but Spider-Man, it wasn't like making Spider-Man's rent and his, and his aunt might die. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Spider-Man's romance with Lois Lane, that's a soap opera and that would be a real sort of emotional story such as it was, but it was nowhere near like Peter Parker having like a, his suit is wet. So he has no costume because he can't afford to get a new one or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then he just can't cut a break. And this issue we'll see just like he's not really doing anything wrong and the world turns against him. And I'll uh, say if you have if you haven't been reading the issues as we've been if you're if you're a fan of this podcast and thank you for listening and you and you haven't been reading the issues, you're just hearing us talk about it. These three, you, you got to read them. If you're a fan of Spider-Man, I think it is essential, essential that you read issues 31, 32 and 33. If you're a fan of comics, th- this is. Yeah, I would say this these is like three a known masterpiece and amazing fantasy 15. Those four issues, you got the four Ditko Lee issues. You just, those are the four you should read. You'll know amazing fantasy 15, but I think it sets everything up for these three issues. Yeah. This is the bookend. This is the other half of the story. Yeah. And it, at what, what level of fame does it have? Like certainly among Spider-Man fans, everybody knows this is a peak, but I don't feel like it's, you have to be a fan for a little while before you discover this. Am I right on that? Yeah. I don't think any non-comic book readers know this storyline at all. Yeah. Even even the famous, and spoiler alert, uh, lifting the heavy thing off his back, which is sort of homaged, I think, in the latest Spider-Man Homecoming. It shows up in the cartoon. Spider-Man 2 a little bit. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing that the creators... Uh, of the movies and television shows and everything no to touch on, but I don't think anyone, I don't, I think everyone, I think casual fans or fans outside the comics know his origin and don't really know. And maybe the villains, but don't know much about his stories. And this is a story. And, um, uh, I think that this is, Ditko is so into this issue. I think it is so great. The art is great. The pacing is great. The the emotion is great. This issue is almost all set up. We actually don't have a ton of action or payoff in issue 31. The payoff really starts in issue 32. But I mean, we don't just, even get into the, the crux of the the story till next issue. We, we don't really. But it's set up so beautifully. And I mean, it's a master at work. It is a master at work. And I just... It is, and it's a guy who after this would kind of descend into obscurity. He really would never have anything as big again. Um, um, but this is a dude at the peak of his powers, making a comic as good as he can make it for an audience that was hugely in love with it for a company that was becoming a, an empire. I mean, this is, it's, I'm just so excited to get into it. So that's yeah. So before we get into it even more, let's yes. put it off even more. How did, yes. so... This was so the, we got into the original comics through these three digests that covered through issue 20. Yes, that's right, which did not have these issues. Did not have these issues. And then we started uh, reading like the the ones that were current at that time, which is like early 80s, Roger Stern, Amazing Spider Man. Yes. Um, and how did you stumble on this story? Okay, I think, um, I think it was Marvel Tales. Um, so Marvel Tales was in the early 80s was a comic book that theoretically would reprint any old Marvel story every month because at this time it was hard to get access to back issues. So Marvel Tales would have like select, but it was just Spider-Man. They never did any old anything else. It was so, like Marvel Tales featuring Spider-Man or something. Right, it was called. right. So like you'd, you'd basically, you know, comics came out once a week. Most comics were monthly, you know, 
And Spider-Man like, at Spider-Man. this time had three monthly comics. Right. He had Amazing, then Peter on one week, and then whatever. The next week would be Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. The next week would be Marvel, Marvel Team-Up, Up, which was always Spidey and some other hero. And then Marvel Tales was the fourth week, a reprint of an old Spidey story. And I, would just, I just started buying those because I couldn't read these. I mean, old- that's how big he was. No other character had multiple titles. Yeah. Especially one of which was just a reprint. <laughs> yeah. And um, the X-Men were once a month. Uh, the Avengers were once a month. They hadn't quite even gotten to the West Coast Avengers, so briefly they had two a month. The Fantastic Four, like the biggest characters they had at one point, once a month. Once a month, yeah. Um, characters Spider Man. Every he, single week, you get you get an issue of Spider Man. Yeah, and we and we bought them and we loved it. And um, so, I, Marvel Tales reprinted this issue thirty one, and I I remember clocking it as I. Not as big as I would realize it was later, but I'd be like, ooh, that was a good one. And then when 32 came out, so, Mar- you know, the next month of Marvel Tales reprinted issue 32, I was like, oh, this story is good. <laughs> this story is, re- I, got, I was into it. So I was ready and waiting for issue 33 and it blew me away. And um, we, you and I must have talked about it at that time, but I don't remember us doing that. I don't remember. I think by the time I read it, all three of those Marvel Tales issues were out. And I vaguely believe you probably told me to read it because I don't think I was reading Marvel Tales regularly. Well, another uh, thing I read the happened. first, the digest I'd read and reread and reread and reread. And I was reading Team Up and I was reading Amazing as we, and I think at this point I wasn't buying comics. So I was just reading the comics that you bought. Right. But I was reading all the uh, current Spider-Man stuff. And I, I vaguely remember, I don't remember a conversation, but I vaguely remember you being like, read these ones. Mm-hmm. Like, this is really good. Because the cover to this issue stands out as a very, because I think they had the same cover for the Marvel Tales. They did. They did. And, you were, and they didn't always. And you were just like, right. read this one. And, and it was then, good. It was like, oh, this is like those digests that I love so much. And then I, I was, like, I think, young enough not to connect. Oh, those digests were by different people. It was just like, oh, the company makes Spider-Man comics and some of them are really good and some of them are okay. Yeah. Um, so I clocked it as like, wow, I really love that trilogy. But I did not realize that it was a thing that all Spider-Man fans had locked into, you know? Um, no internet, no, I wasn't going to conventions or anything. So there wasn't a time when I sat around with other Spider-Man fans and said, have you read this one or whatever? But then like, so, you know, this all bit would have been when I was like 13 or something. So then when I was in like my early 20s. Which puts me at uh, eight. Yeah. Yeah. You're eight, eight or nine, whatever. Um, depending what part of the year it's happening. Yeah. Um, and then like 10 years later, I was like, I don't know, in, the, in a bookstore and I saw like a hardcover cover Marvel thing, which I still have called the best of Marvel comics, volume one, a real arbitrary selection of Marvel comics had like a, the first appearance of the Black Panther and then like Wolverine fighting the Hulk. <clears throat> um, uh, but they had the Master Planner trilogy, Amazing Spider-Man 31, 32, and 33 in it. And I looked, I was like, oh, here they all are together. Like, And they must have picked it. It's being picked here for this best of. Like, I'm not the only one who thinks this is great. And I bought that just so I would have all three of them in a nice hardcover edition. And I'm looking at it right now. It's still on my shelf. And you purge books constantly. And I give away books all the time, but I won't give away that one. Um, and, uh, 
and I, and I've clocked. I'm always I'm always looking for references to this trilogy, and I'm and I'm really never let down. The, this the Spidey creators know this is special. They always give a little nod. That don't always, but they often will give a little nod to it, and I love it. Yeah, and you also bought issue thirty three, a first printing of it, right? Oh yeah, baby, like a really beat up, cheap version. But yeah, it was like I was in ninth grade. It cost forty dollars. I saved for like two months. Uh, it's got like a hole in it. I mean, but it's it is an original copy of issue thirty three, and it's a prized possession. And I I'm I'm looking at it right now. I have it. I've only kept like maybe forty comics. You know. From, from the days when I collected, just for sentimental reasons. And uh, that's one of them. Yeah, I think that's great that you bought this issue that from a collector standpoint does not it's have worthless. value because yeah. it is so wrecked. I mean, it's readable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the, but it looks bad. <laughs> it's, the pages are yellowed and there's like the cover is for shit. But yeah. I don't, I, in a way, it makes me love it more. It's like been through the ringer and it's, it, it, yeah, it, it shows it, its it, age. Yeah, it, it, the story itself has also been through the ringer and passed around from fan to fan to fan. So I, I like symbolically that my, uh, I'll take a picture of it for our Instagram when we get to issue 33. Um, great. I mean, that is 15 minutes of build up for a story that is all built up. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know it's appropriate though. <laughs> it's like, yeah. we're not getting to the action and the story doesn't get to the action. Um, I thought about jokingly calling you yesterday, Kevin, and being like, what if we did one episode per page of this trilogy? And like, we <laughs> spent like five years just doing the Master Planner trilogy. The whole podcast could have just been these three issues. <laughs> I mean, people do those, like, right? They do podcasts that are like one minute of a movie at a time. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's definitely happened for Star Wars, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I mean, I think that would be too much, of course. It'd be too I, much, though. I do think you could do like five pages at a time or something. Not necessarily that arbitrary, but like, yeah, you could do like this first part, then this next part, and like you know, an episode just about lifting the object off and the just an yeah. issue about escaping, just an issue right. about me, meeting with the doctor. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get into it. Issue thirty. Uh, what's going on? Let's do our other segments. What's happening in Marvel Comics at this time? I believe the Inhumans uh, have just debuted in Fantastic Ooh, Four. Exciting. That's it. Um, I don't have any Spider-Man or podcast news. And nor do I. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, so this issue, let's talk about the cover real quick. Okay. It's a cover. very different cover than anything that we've seen so far. Yeah, it's a, it's a picture of it. It's a big outline of a spider with Spider-Man's face in the body. And then in between the legs of the spider are little snippets of the adventure inside the issue. It's almost like a little movie trailer for the comic. Yeah. Um, it really stands out from the rest of the run. And I, and I think Ditko had been trying to do this recently with the Molten Man cover and a few others. This one really works and it's great that it works for this story. Yeah. Uh, the title is, is, If This Be My Destiny. Which, I love it. Which doesn't quite connect with this issue as much as the arc overall. Yeah. Um, I wonder if Ditko named it. Sounds like a Stan Lee name, though. Yeah, it might be a Stan Lee name trying to make this. I, I wonder what Stan Lee thought of this issue. So I have two questions. Maybe we'll talk about it when we get to the end. But like, what did Stan Lee think of this issue? Because he would not have known the next issue yet. Right. Um, I bet. I bet he knew how good it was. I like to think that Stan, for all of his being hammy and for all of his sometimes um, 
the the difficulty of him as a person, uh, according to the artists who worked with him. Uh, I think that he had really good taste in comics and in people. And I think he knew this was a special one. I'm sure he didn't like that. There wasn't a lot of action. He never liked that, but I'm sure he recognized this is, he probably suspected it was paying off to something, that something was coming. Um, yeah, because like, Ditko's done that know. before in the Green yes. Goblin issue where after Spider-Man runs away, there's a whole issue where he's basically given up being Spider-Man and only at the very end does he decide to come back. And then there's an issue of all fights. Yeah, and I don't know what the fan reaction to those issues were. Uh, people who read the letters pages, we have some fans who do that. I'd love to know the letter page reactions to the, uh, that issue without action in it. I want to know what the fans thought of Spider-Man not putting on his costume, basically. Yeah. As well as to this issue. I'd love to know the fan reaction to issue 31. Yes. Um, I bet, I, I always had this belief that when something is a high quality, people can sense it. They know that something good is going on. And I, and I bet you the true blue fans of Spider-Man were excited about this. But I don't know if that's true. Um, let's get into it. Yeah, great. So splash page, great splash page. Yes. Uh, we have so I don't think I think we've hit a point now where the covers are genuinely better. The splash pages now feel like splash pages. Yeah, I agree. The cover is better as a cover, but this is a great splash page. It's a uh, Spidey in the middle of a fight with the thugs that we will come to know as the master planner gang, which they're wearing like amphibious sort of scuba uh, like purple lycra suits or whatever. And it's at night in the shipyard and they're shooting clouds of gas at him. Ditko loves clouds of smoke. And Spidey is uh, in the middle of a fight with them and it looks great. Yeah. They look similar to the Blue Beetle villains, the squids. Uh, that's No one will really know what I'm talking about. But yeah, in one of the Blue so Beetle issues, he fights a guy named the squids. They're all in costumes. They have suction cups on their arms so they can climb buildings. And uh, I think they do the same thing where they like timed everything perfectly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's another Ditko uh, comic book that he would do after Spider-Man. So yeah, yeah, this is maybe a type of look that he likes. Um, when the story begins, we're seeing the Master Planner saga in the middle. I'm sorry, we're seeing the Master Planner gang in the middle of a robbery. And their thing is that they, um, they're always incredibly well planned. Like they have tons of resources and they're like, they, you know, they, they are just a, a well-oiled machine. Yeah, these guys aren't just breaking in and grabbing stuff. They know exactly what to look for, where to find it. They know what sort of guards to expect. They're prepared. They're, they've been masterfully planned. Uh, we also saw these guys' last issues pulling off a heist of uranium that was well-planned. Yeah, so incorrectly identified as a cat burglars gang, but we know that there was really the master planner gang. Stan Lee just didn't know it. Yeah, and it's never acknowledged in this issue that we've seen these guys before, but we have. We and have. now they're stealing some sort of device uh, from a... Uh, a plant that produces radioactive atomic devices. You know, one of those plants. One of those plants. Uh, New York City in the Marvel's universe has tons of um, radioactive and atomic research labs everywhere. Um, so they, they, we open with them stealing this, but then Spidey is on it. And so we kind of open with a fight where Spidey is trying to foil. He doesn't know who they are or what they're doing this for, but he can see that they're bad. And so he jumps into their helicopter as it flies away. And we have a little fight between him and he basically loses this fight. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they get away. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, he does well, all things yeah. considered, but they, they, I guess it's a demonstration in the weird sort of not quite scientifically accurate way of early, uh, sixties or mid sixties Marvel comics 
it, it's their planning that lets they have they have gas guns, so they immediately douse him with gas, so he has to hold his breath. They they're prepared for him, so they dump the cargo. Um, so they get rid of the cargo while Spidey's still in the helicopter, and another yeah, they little dump sp- it into the river, uh, so that the scuba uh, geared versions of themselves can come retrieve those devices. Yeah, there's another unit of the Master Planner gang from an underwater lair who, like, they swim out to get um, the thing that was dropped. Uh, Spidey eventually runs out of air because of the gas and has to kind of, like, give up. Oh, but he... um, he Spidey doesn't quite give up. He gets the helicopter to crash. Yeah. Oh, God, what a great action sequence. That's right. He crashes the helicopter into the river, even though he's running out of breath. Yeah, he breaks the rotors with a piece of metal, like the door of the helicopter, Ooh, so and- that the helicopter crashes so that he can catch these guys. But because there's scuba gear guys down there, they're able to rescue their uh, gang members, their yeah. patriots. And Kevin. And Spider-Man can't find them. Oh, and just look, look how good this fight is. Like it is Ditko setting himself up to do the things he does best. These clouds of smoke billowing over everybody. And, and look on page four, panel three. I've got never more, never more than now do I wish this was a visual podcast, but like Spidey is covering up his eyes with his forearm while he's like web swinging to a piece of debris that he's about to use to break the helicopter. Like that picture is so well done and and precise. We've seen such rushed art recently. And this one is just so, I mean, the, the, the line work, right? It just, it's really precise drawing. Yeah. I mean, this is really the only main action sequence in this whole story, but it's a good one. Yeah. Um, and I think it also like the planning is always kind of silly to me. These, these crooks are just like, uh, 223. It's the time we're supposed yeah, to do. Right, 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 right. But the only way normal people can beat Spider-Man is to be prepared for him. Yeah. To have like, like they, not just, they can't improvise around him. He will beat them in that realm. They so can't they do power like him usually. Yeah. They've got, they've got to be prepared for him and not thinking him. Even when he first shows up, they're not scared. They're like, we've got plans for this. Yeah. And so like you say, the helicopter crashes and the scuba team rescues the people in the helicopter, gives them masks. They swim away under the river. Spidey assumes they're drowning, goes down to rescue them and finds that they're gone. And he's stunned at like what just happened. Like, who are these guys? Yeah. I mean, he did a pretty good job. He took down a helicopter, but it wasn't enough to catch these guys. Uh, and it, the page, the, that battle ends with a two page monologue by the master planner we don't see we just see the base with like word balloons coming out of the base right two panel yeah uh two panel not two page uh yeah, Sorry, uh, yeah two we don't know who model. he is it's another ditko mystery villain what's the secret identity of the master planner we won't find out until next issue yeah and, and there's a huge base and we've lived in new york city this is like a pretty big base to be under the hudson river i think this would be noticed but <laughs> At least during the construction of it, <laughs> but uh, at any I rate, mean, it's just the, there. The funds that the master planner must have had to do that—I mean, he lost a helicopter, and it doesn't even bother him. Yeah, he is well funded as a villain. Yeah, so yeah, that's the action sequence. We don't really have action the rest of the issue, but it's—it's it's basically like a Mission Impossible action sequence that opens up this comic. And um, now we cut back to Peter Parker's life, where we're going to spend really the rest of the issue on, which is great. Yeah. And even if you think about this as uh, the last Spider-Man story ever, uh, it really cements Spider-Man as a teenager because this is 
the end of his teenage years would be the start of college, basically. Yeah. And that's what the Peter Parker side of the story is about in this issue. Yeah, he's leaving his teenage years behind here because he starts college. So page six establishes what's going on in Peter Parker's personal life, which is he's starting college and his Aunt May is very sick and she's been hiding it from him. Yeah, she doesn't want him to worry about her when he should be worried about college. Yeah, page six, panel two, Peter is happily walking away to go his start school. He's an excellent student. He won a scholarship. He's all set to do this. May is watching him walk away and she thinks he's just like his father, cheery, enthusiastic, and bright. He's been like a son to me all these years. Um, I know it's hokey and Aunt May is like a million years old and she's been on death's door for her whole storyline in one way or another, but I'm so moved at, I'm still moved by it. Like she raised uh, her nephew who lost his parents and they are special to each other. And, um, I, I, it really, it, these little moments where they are looking out for each other, it always works on me. Yeah. They're all they have left. Uncle Ben is gone. His parents are gone. It's just those two. They're the only two Parkers left. This is a reference um, to his father, which is like one of the first references to his real parents that we've seen in any of the issues. Yeah, I like that Stanley takes this moment also, and I don't know how important it would be for readers. Uh, it definitely isn't important for me anymore, but I'm glad it's there. This idea that she says he's like a son to me, just to be like, I know I'm Aunt May, but that's my son. Yeah, and she deserves it, right? She's raised him, and he's going. She, and who, she's done an amazing job. She created uh, the best superhero in the Marvel universe. You know, a, a rock yeah. solid, a guy who never does the wrong thing if he can help it. Um. She deserves, uh, you know, by that logic, she's one of the most powerful people in the Marvel Universe. She created Peter Parker. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Ditko. wasn't you. It was Aunt sorry, May. Sorry, Ditko. It was Aunt May. Um, now, this little montage on page six, we cut to a montage of Peter's first day or so, I guess, at college. And I think this is so fun. I love all these little vignettes. Um, uh, yeah, you know, it was like a... a there's like an opening speech from the dean. We see Peter like meet, go to his lab for the first time, filling out forms, uh, waiting in lines, getting books, all with like a little comment from Peter or a little remark. Sometimes thought balloons, sometimes out loud. Just sort of like, ugh, yeah. Look at, look at this bureaucracy. But also, I love it. It's college. Little jokes like the only things that don't have to be signed in duplicate are the ones that have to be done in triplicate. Um, very Stanley line. Yeah. Uh, he runs into Flash Thompson here. Well, if it isn't fearless Flash Thompson, because Flash is here in a football scholarship, Flash responds with drop dead. <laughs> yep. Not matured at all. <laughs> He's getting a ton of books from the uh, the bookstore. He goes, it would be easier just to move into the library, yeah. says Peter Parker. That's a great Stanley joke. But it's like this um, sort of like a romanticizing the idea of going to college as a big story point in this story. I love it. Like he is a science student, right? And he's a nerd and um, he's a poor kid. The only way he's getting to go to school is on a scholarship. It is like the, the old school American dream of a kid getting by on his merits. Like his spider powers were given to him by chance, but this is the aspect of his life that he's always worked at like really hard and it's paying off for him. And I'm, ex I'm excited for him as I read this. 
it's also pretty true. I think, I don't know. This is what my experience at college. Like when you first get there, it's, you, you go to some big uh, lecture hall, somebody kind of talks to you, you yeah. fill out a lot of forms, you're waiting in lines to sign up for classes, you're getting all your books, you're kind of doing all these things. You're sort of moving constantly those first few days at college. Yeah. You maybe run into people that you knew from high school, uh, you're meeting new people. It's sort of a, a, a bedlam. And I read this as a child and didn't know, but now I read it now. I'm like, yeah, that's what my first day of college probably felt me like. Me too. Uh, I, it, it resonates with me. Um, now it's probably more online stuff, but at least for me, that was not the case. And just the feeling of, wow, I'm on my own now and I got to handle all these little logistical problems by myself. And uh, yeah. it's a lot more adult than I was just a couple months ago. Um, so, uh, But then Peter goes home to see Aunt May. And she collapses and no longer can she hide the sickness from him. She just faints in his arms. <clears throat> He's stricken and distraught. We, the doctor comes over and it's bad news. He's got to take her to the hospital. This is not a bed rest type situation. And then we are in the hospital and she's frail and medication has helped her a little bit. Peter's trying to put on a brave face. He's smiling and telling her, don't you worry about me. Just rest and get your strength. You'll be fine. She falls asleep. And now Peter is ruined for the rest of this issue. Yeah. He doesn't go to sleep that night. He just stays up all night worrying about it. May feeling like he's never get, he doesn't give her enough time. <laughs> uh, it breaks my know, heart. Which, it breaks my heart. That two panel sequence at the top of page eight, Peter wandering yeah. around the campus at night, staying up all night, worrying about her. I mean, he's just a kid. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He thinks to himself, I was so wrapped up in my own affairs that I hardly gave her a thought. But what a heartbreak. Which, all he was doing was being excited about college, right? Yeah, doesn't he, he shouldn't doesn't have he to. It? Doesn't he deserve worry it? about this? Yeah, he's feeling guilty about going to school. I mean, and being Spider Man. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. But um, uh, Peter Parker's guilt is one of my favorite things about him. <laughs> um, but I think it does feel like that way in that moment when you're you think you might lose somebody. You're like, ugh, I wasted it. I should have yeah. given them everything. And how dare I not do that? And I, um, and we've made brief. I'm, we've made brief mention of it here, there in the podcast, but Kevin and I, our, our mother died when we were younger, actually after the time that we would have read these issues yes. initially, but it on rereading, uh, and I'm sure anybody who's lost somebody close to them feels versions of this. There's even more of a gut punch here. It's like, yeah, when somebody close to you is sick, it, what, what do you do? The powerlessness, the, the amount you think about it. Um, and it doesn't matter that this person has been sick on and off yeah, or is older. Doesn't it's just matter. like, no, you're not ready. You're not ready for this. And it is, it is perhaps a soap opera plot line to have Aunt May always on death's door, but it is a, it's one that people can relate to and it works as a story. And so now we see Peter walking around college and God, I love this upcoming sequence where he is just basically lost in worry. He is, too, he is up in his own head and ignoring everything around him. And so for a while we see it. And we've seen this before from Peter. When Peter gets really preoccupied with something, generally it's Aunt May, but once in a while it's a supervillain. He sort of tunes everything else out. He's kind of doing his life on autopilot and in his head. Yep. And once that happens, he sort of has to ignore everyone around him. And uh, for a first day in college, that's a bad move. So we see it from the, from the other students' point of view, there, we see Flash Thompson and two new characters um, who are observing Peter in a funk. Yeah. The two new characters are Harry Osborne. Huge, uh, huge not, character in the future. Yeah. 
He will become Peter's best friend and roommate, also the son of his worst villain, Norman Osborn, who is revealed to be the Green Goblin. Yep. Uh, so <clears throat> no, Harry is a huge character. And also Gwen Stacy, uh, soon to be Peter's next girlfriend. Yeah. Um, the Gwen is like the uh, brainy, um, cute girl, I guess. Like she's an attractive girl, but she's just as into science as Peter. That That's sort of I mean, what she's, different. she's an ex-model. She's referred to as an ex-beauty queen. <laughs> Um, of standard high. <laughs> um, yeah. So she's a beauty queen and smart. Yeah. Uh, which is my issue with her in the long run, slight diatribe is why I've never felt like she was the perfect fit for Peter is like, she's too perfect. Mm. Interesting. Uh, like her dad's a cop. She's beautiful. And she's into science. It's sort of like, Oh, she was made to date Peter Parker. Yeah. Is what it feels like. So story wise, uh, I like, like two other I always liked Mary Jane more. Even Betty Brandt, I liked more as a fit, as someone like that didn't fit. They complemented each other versus he, she didn't just do everything he would need. She's not another, like she could be Spider-Man. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've said before that the female characters in Amazing Spider-Man are usually just so limited to worrying about shopping and wigs or something like that. Wig, yes. That's the wasp. But, um, She's a step up from that, I think. She's like a step in the right direction of, of having her own thing going on. Definitely a half step up in this issue for sure. So Harry and Gwen and Flash try to like reach out to Peter, but he's not hearing them. And this is, this is classic Ditko. Peter not hearing them say hello is a huge insult to these people. Yeah. Flash says, how about that? He ignored us. He ignored us. Yeah, but those, those pauses are in the dialogue yeah. balloon. <laughs> Harry Osborne immediately turns on him. Some friend you've got there, Flash. Knock it off, Harry. That creep is no friend of mine. Like, they're so against him. Harry Osborne, I mean, uh, infamously awful hairstyle from Ditko, <laughs> uh, but also just like an evil face. Yeah. Harry Osborne looks like a villain. Yeah. This guy becomes the best friend of Peter, but that's post to Ditko. I don't think. Harry Osborn ever would have become friends with Peter under Ditko's watch. Um, so Gwen is really fascinated by Peter, though. She thinks he's attractive. She's curious of why he's paying no attention to people. Um, yes. Peter, meanwhile, is solely thinking about Aunt May. In between classes, he runs to the payphone to, to call the doctor. He goes to the library to study, and he can only think about Aunt May. Yeah, he doesn't really even notice Gwen in this entire story. Right. Page 10 in science class, Peter's, you know, where he's at his best, kid, the kids are so fed up with how, how dare he ignore them that they're going to play a prank. How dare this kid who's here on a scholarship not talk to us, Yeah, other kids. <laughs> they think he's a swell head, which I guess is the only, the second worst thing you can be after a coward. Um, yeah. I mean, they got to take him down a peg, Will. They got to take him down a peg, right? And so and the entire class is on board. <laughs> everybody is on board with pranking Peter Parker, but Gwen doesn't want to do it. Gwen doesn't feel it's right. She, she's not ready to give up on Peter yet. So, but uh, they kind of pressure her into it. So her job is to distract Peter. So she goes up and asks for a pen, but Peter doesn't even turn to look at her. Yeah, just hands her a pen without turning around. Uh, Gwen is sort of both upset and also... Uh, I mean, he's basically negging her. He's negging her. Yeah, he's following the rules. He's uh, he's a, he's following the pickup artist rules. Yeah, she's really interested in this guy who's not interested in her. He's pe so he he's genuinely isn't. He's interested in his Aunt May right now. He's peacocking, right? He's showing off his big science ability by holding that beaker up. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's doing it accidentally, but he is a, a master player all of a sudden. Uh, but since he wasn't paying attention, the, the, the rest of the class is able to do their prank, which is to make his experiment explode. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and his professor, also named Warren, just like his high school professor, <laughs> uh, gets really mad at him. Yeah. Yells at Peter. The gang loves it. Uh, Peter doesn't even notice anything. He's like, ah, oh, well, I must have been daydreaming. No, I've just been thinking about not me too much. Also, the scientists mentioned his scholarship. Everyone is aware of Peter's scholarship, which is also terrible. No one should know this guy is here on a free ride. That's not his fault. They shouldn't look down on him for it, right? They're really shitting on him for yeah. like being a poor kid that had good grades. <laughs> yeah, but the professor brings it up and announces it to the class. Even though you did win a science scholarship, you will confine yourself to the experiments at hand. Also, why is he in a science class with Flash? Yeah, he should be in an advanced track, right? I can't. Oh, wait, is Flash in this class? No, Flash is not in this class. Harry's in it. Huh? Good, good continuity. That makes sense. Good okay. continuity. Flash is not there. Gwen's there, right? Yeah. Gwen makes sense to be there. Gwen and Harry makes sense. His dad would pressure him into being a chemist. Okay, you know what? We take it back to go. You're good. Our- yeah, everything's good. Everyone, they should mention a scholarship. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Um so oh, then, okay, bottom of page 11. This is one of the little things I love about this issue. Peter's visiting Aunt May. They're smiling. You know, she's having maybe like a good day. Uh, and she asks, oh, God, this breaks my heart. What, what about your first day of school? Was it exciting? Did you make any nice new friends? Oh, sure, it was great. They're a swell bunch of guys and gals. Like, he's just putting on this good face that everything is okay. It's not okay, yeah. right? I mean, he doesn't know if they, they could be good guys and gals. He literally hasn't spent time to meet them. Yeah, it's just like he doesn't even know that they pranked him. He thought maybe I did it. He thinks to himself, "Oh, maybe I absentmindedly did this because I've been so uh, caught up in my own thoughts." Yeah, true, true. But there's just something about like how how that reveals how oblivious he is to what's going on in his own. How much he's neglecting himself, I guess. Yeah, but also Aunt May is so happy in that panel. I know. She's dying. She's dying. And she's just so happy for her son. Yes. Slash nephew Peter Parker. That he's getting to go to college yes. and live his dreams. Yes. She could not be happier. I know. She has no regrets in that moment. It is. Uh, it's lovely. It's lovely. I mean, <laughs> it's good. Um, so then Peter talks to the doctor. They're, they're basically. We're, we're halfway through. We're halfway through this issue. I know. I know. So, oh, God. 40 minutes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm just letting the listeners know. So, so maybe, maybe we'll be able to pick it up. I, no promises. No promises. Um, so he talks to the doctor. Things are stable, but not better. He goes home. There's all these bills he can't afford to pay. Um, and he thinks he's thinking about quitting college. At one point, Peter's like looking at all the bills. He's like, maybe I ought to forget about college, even though my scholarship pays a tuition. I still can't afford it. If I could get a full-time job, bring in some real money, that's what we need. Uh, but that would really break Aunt May's heart. Doesn't even consider, remember in the old days, Peter would always consider stealing money as Spider-Man. That doesn't even not anymore. cross his mind. Panel... Panel six on page 12 is, if this was in a movie, it's like he's looking askance and he's like, there's only one way for me to earn some other cash, even though it means spending the night away from my studies. And we know that means Spider-Man's coming. And I get so excited in that panel. Yeah. I mean, the next panel of Spider-Man clinging to a wall seems like an iconic pose for Spider-Man. Just a very classically, both mostly heroic, but just a little off kilter. Just like a perfect Ditko Spider-Man pose. So he he swings around, but he can't find any crime. There's nothing. So he goes back to his desk, and again, dawn is breaking, and he stayed up all night trying to keep up with studies. Uh, and then the bottom of page 13, we see 
kind of a summary of the situation. He's wandering around campus. He's exhausted. Gwen and Harry and Flash and the entire campus is looking at him like he's a freak. Yeah, even the caption box says uh, that he is unaware that most of the student body is talking about the new scholarship student who seems to feel he's too good to mingle with his classmates. Uh, then we cut to pot, top of page 14, J. Jonah Jameson. J. Jonah Jameson is also mad there's no crime news. And he sends Foswell, Frederick Foswell, to go find some news. Right. <laughs> there's no crime, therefore there is no news for the Bugle. That's right. And no crime, no Spider-Man. Uh, Foswell, and Foswell thinks about turning into Patch, which we don't care which, about. Who cares? And then um, Betty Brant is still, has still not told Ned Leeds whether she'll marry him or not. Uh, she feels like she's yeah, she hasn't really had a full conversation with Peter because she started to talk to Peter about it and he stormed off, kind of giving up on Betty. And I guess she's been very open to Ned that she also has feelings for Peter and she's like, I need to talk to him first. And he respects that. He respects that. And he says, I'll wait and I'll keep asking. Next page 15, we see. Also, again, just a reminder to our listeners, Ned is 20, 10 years older than Betty yeah. at best. He's a creep and he should be sent away from her. Um, page 15. <laughs> Patch is in an underground bar full of criminals. Stan Lee's version of the New York, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's version of the underworld, but he can't find anything. Bottom of page 15. Well, he overhears someone talking about uh, a cargo oh, theft, right, right. but he doesn't get quite enough evidence and he loses track of the guy in the crowds. Okay, that's right. So he does get a very small lead about a robbery that's maybe a foot. Bottom of page 15. It's not enough to bring to the police. But it's something. That's right. That that matters to the story. Thank you. Um, bottom of page 15, Gwen is still interested in Peter, and she's really yeah. going to just try to talk to this guy. Yeah. She's like, I'm glad I bumped into you. Do you have a minute? Doesn't look at her again. <laughs> he just blows by her. Awfully sorry. You'll have to excuse me in a real big hurry. Can't stop now. He's running away from her. He, is, he doesn't need to explain to her where she's going. He doesn't know who she is. <laughs> had, but she's furious. Top of page 16 is a very Stanley dialogue, but I do kind of love it. Why the unmitigated nerve of him? Nobody gives Gwen Stacy the brush off that way. You young man are going to regret that. I promise. It's kind of like an old Millie the Model story yeah. or Patsy Walker. And you know what? I love it. <laughs> yeah. Don't regret it. They're going to date for many years. <laughs> um, at the hospital, uh, Peter and May are talking again. It's more bad news. And they're, they're both acting like uh, everything's fine, but he talks to the doctor and they're like, we're not sure yet. We're getting close. Um, back to Spidey. To figuring out, they're getting close to figuring out what's wrong with Aunt May. Yep. Now back to Spidey is swinging around. He wants some news picks to sell to J. Jonah Jameson. He runs into the stool pigeon known as Patch, which is really the reporter Frederick Foswell. And... He, the former big man of the gang ran all the <laughs> mafia who ran all the gangs in New York. Um, he was Daniel day Lewis. Uh, he, um, he tells Spider-Man about this he, robbery he heard of. Cause he doesn't feel good going to the police, but maybe Spidey could check it out. He's like, I'm not sure there's something happening. I think there is, but you could check it out. You're just, a, you know, you're a vigilante. And he goes, yeah, why not? So Spidey goes to the waterfront. There is a robbery going on. It's the Master Planner gang. This is what we saw on the splash page. He has a fight with them. Yes. And he's, the gas that was bothering him in the opening sequence is no longer bothering him. Spidey has done something. We don't know what. Yes. But they get away with uh, it. They keep, they keep shooting him with gas. It doesn't slow him down at all. But even though they have to run away, they do get what they're after. So he fails to stop them a second time. Yeah, they're still prepared for him. They're dropping nets on him. They're working as a team. Um, they have to run off, but 
you know, I, I don't know if they stole anything, but they definitely get away from him. He doesn't catch him. Top of the last page. I think he, I think he stops them from stealing anything. Okay. So there's some sort of victory here at the end. Um, yeah. But he didn't take photos. Peter forgot to set up his camera. He didn't have time because the crime was already in uh, progress happening. Yeah. So he misses his chance. As they ran off, he's like, I should have taken photos. I need that money. Uh, Then he reveals, top of page 20, that he had created a little, like, filter that he wore underneath his Spidey mask so that he could breathe through the gas. Uh, I I love that we have another little instance of Peter using his science ability to help his Spider-Man fight. We haven't really seen that in a while, and I love that. Yeah, even though he hasn't been able to keep up with the studies and he's spending so much time with Aunt May, he still, at some point in this issue, built this little air filter to prepare himself for this gas Probably thing. a lot more. Sophisticated. Yeah, we do hear. Yep, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Now you go. Probably a lot more. A lot more sophisticated than whatever work he's being assigned in his biology 101 class or chemistry 101 <laughs> class. For sure. Like just making a working a, filter he, that you can't even see underneath a skin type mask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's some Batman stuff yeah. there and he doesn't have billions of dollars to fund yeah. it. We do hear the Master Piner mad that he didn't get the cargo. So for sure, Spider-Man did. It's a minor success. He didn't catch anyone, but... He also stopped them. And we don't yet know who the master planner is. We're seeing shots of his lair, um, but we don't get to see who he is. But we see that the master planner, whoever he is, is upset at Spider-Man, like he just said. And he knows who Spider-Man knows who he is. He says to himself, uh, even, uh, he goes, I shall tolerate no further meddling by Spider-Man. Even he has not the power to stop me, though he and I have met before. If he crosses my path again, our next encounter will be his last. Little hint for the reader. So it's somebody we know. Yes. Uh, now, the last three panels are a gut punch. Um, <laughs> it is the doctors are working on Aunt May. And uh, what, about, what about this reveal, Kev? Yeah. I mean, it's vague. This didn't hit me as much as the, the earlier moments of Aunt May just talking to Peter. It, it seems to, this was implied throughout the issue to me. But what they're saying is the poor woman can't last much longer. Yeah, very soap opera. They're saying that. At, we're, but meanwhile, we're seeing Spider-Man just swinging through the night. And I think that is such a great like cliffhanger for this. Um, I mean, yeah, I know it's a trope, especially now in modern times. We know how often it may has been sick over the years. And it, even, in, even in Ditko's run, it's happened like twice before this. Um, once very seriously, but, um, I, it worked on me. It's like everything is starting to collapse in on Spidey. Now, just from a clinical standpoint, not much happened in this issue. Right. Peter started college and may got sick and went to the hospital and she'd already been yeah. sick for the last couple of issues. And there's and a villains of foot that Spidey didn't have too much interaction with. Right. And that was also already happening in the previous issue. So not a lot of new information, really, but it's all just mood and tension and setting up as things are sort of building. It's basically the water starting to boil. That's right. And maybe just the decision to focus on his personal life a lot. Like, basically, the biggest thing that happened in this issue is Peter goes to college. Yeah. He doesn't uh, meet treat- anyone because he's too busy thinking about Aunt May. And that sort of just that emotion, just him being so wrapped up about Aunt May for so long. Yeah. Is, I guess, the buildup. And we meet Gwen Stacy. That's the other big thing that happens as, in this issue. As fans of the series, lots of big things do happen. The first appearance of Harry and Gwen. Uh, Warren, I think, also becomes a supervillain, his professor. Um, <laughs> I think he becomes a jackal many years later. Um, funny. Um, a character I'm not too fond of, but... Uh, 
Yeah. So a lot of stuff happens as well as setting up the next two issues, which are tremendous. I think that Ditko picked a story here that uses all of his strengths. Visually, we have like the water and the smoke. Uh, We have the secret identity of the villain we don't know yet. We have Spider-Man using science as well as his powers to fight. We have a lot of Peter Parker emotional stuff. Um, I mean, this this is to me, Ditko's like, I'm doing it my way now. If this was a graphic novel, these three issues, 60 page uh, graphic novel, this would be the end of chapter one. You know, there'd be like a one page yep. uh, black fighter yeah. insert or something and you get to the next one. And it feels like that. It feels like part one of a three yeah, this part story. This doesn't, it stand doesn't feel alone. complete. Uh, it feels great. And it, 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 I hope that if I was reading this as a kid off the newsstands, I would read this and go, oh, I got to get the next issue. I hope I wouldn't read this and go, man, nothing happened. Yeah. I don't know for sure. Maybe a, a 10 year old me might've read this and thought. Yeah, nothing really, you know, this has all happened before. Nothing really amazing happens. Um, if you went right into the next issue, I think this pays off so well. So well. But maybe you're right. Maybe even as a kid, I would read this and go, hey, nothing happened, but I was into it. I think you know something's good. Plus the art is just so good. That's a, it's, it's like a movie that's beautiful but slow. Even if eh, it doesn't totally excite you, you know you watched something of quality. Um. I, I would, I like to believe, and I have no evidence for this, but I like to believe that this issue, Amazing Spider-Man 31 and certainly 32 and 33 is like, is one of those things that anybody who got into it became a comic book creator, that it was like inspiring that some 11 year old was reading this and being like, wow, that was good. I want to do this. I want to do this. There is so much here. I'm going to make one of these someday. You know, that like Roger Stern was reading this, you know, or whoever, like, um, yeah. Walt Simonson or something. Um, and they were just like, I- I'm going to make stories like this. I mean, I think even as you were saying, like at this time, Marvel's still putting out comics like Millie, the model and, and Westerns and, and war comics are still happening. Like those don't happen. I mean, maybe they're happening more now than they were in the eighties In the eighties there was almost none of that. Yeah. And you read this comic and it's sort of like, it brings everything that Stan Lee and Steve Ditko have done together into like one story. This feels like it could be the setup for a science fiction invasion. Yeah. But it's also got romance. It's got super That's true. Heroics. That's true. Yeah, if you think uh, of the careers these guys have had and the stuff they've done, they're they're using a lot of their expertise from from decades of work. You know, Stanley and Steve Ditko initially they were doing a Twilight Zone sci-fi series called Amazing Fantasy. Look how far they've come. And I gotta imagine if you were a kid reading comics at the time, superheroes have been around for a long time, but they kind of up and they kind of uh, wax and wane as the DC characters popularity did Yeah, and in this Marvel age, they're sort of coming into strength again. It's only been, a, I mean, this has only been going for two years. Right? Yeah. The re- the resurgence of superheroes. Uh, yeah. Maybe three years. I think like maybe three years. Spidey FF was 61. Spidey was 62 and this is 65. So three years. So, so you don't know really a hundred percent what you expect from a superhero comic. And this maybe just feels like, perfect in that sense it's so hard to know it's so hard to put myself into the head of a kid at in 1965 picking this comic off this newsstand going eh, new spider-man issue wonder what it this would, guy's up to now what i'm about to say is insane but and it would have been stupid but if they had ended spider-man at issue 33 just walked away from it of course that would have been catastrophic for marvel you know the missed opportunity of <laughs> of so much success but it would have elevated 
Spider-Man to an even higher status, you know, like a, someone who basically it would add, it would add in like someone who died young, you know, like a, yeah. it would turn him into like the James Dean of superheroes. Like what could have been? Yeah. <laughs> You'd be reading Marvel comics now going, why did they not continue Spider-Man? Because <laughs> you'd be like, this is insanely good. Yeah. Um, you're like, all right, I'm gonna go back and read Iron Man and Ant-Man teaming up. <laughs> Ant-Man, the face of the Marvel universe. Um, uh, all right, well, that's our reality. Where that's our issue. Sort of moralistic decision by Stan to to honor Ditko <laughs> overweighed all business, and he convinced everyone above him. You're right. <laughs> let's stop publishing our most popular comic, our biggest money maker. Um. All right, um, that's the end of our issue. Kevin, uh, do we have any reader mail? Oh, we should got to do awards. We got to awards. Uh, spoiler alert, we do not have any reader mail. Okay, um, there are so many panels. It's going to be hard for me to pick. Yeah. Um, well, okay, that's kind of a cheat. I'll pick, I'll pick that college montage, page six, panel four. That's a, I mean, that's a good pick. It's like representative of what is going on in the story. What makes Spider-Man different? It is in itself a well done thing. Um, uh, yeah, I'll pick that one. I was going to pick something different, but now when we were reading it, I feel like I can't not pick the panel where he's talking to Aunt May about yeah. college and she's smiling at him. Yeah. That, that was my other choice just for the emotion. I mean, actually by itself, it looks pretty um, matter of fact, but knowing what the story is, it's, it's huge. I, There's that was acting I, going on in that panel. The decision to have that moment is so crucial. So that's that's pan that's p panel seven, page eleven. Yeah, I also really love this panel, the third panel on page thirteen, where he's sort of just shooting down with his web. It's just a cool looking shot. Um, oh, that is extremely cool. Yes. Ooh, good one. Ah, I haven't seen that one too much. Yeah, and we could I, also do something page, about that. Is really cool. Page twelve, panel seven. That one you said before, the iconic Spidey leaning on the building is just a well done one of those. I mean, that feels like if you took out the word balloons, you put that on your your the back of your door, and your bedroom door. Yeah. Um, another one, page eight, panel three. Peter having stayed up all night worrying about Aunt May, and I'll tell you why I like this one. Not only does it just look cool with the red sun sunrise ba bathing Peter in red light, but it, it's sort of a weird parallel to batman i feel like there's a lot of batman at night staring out windows yeah what wondering isn't the 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 famous panel where he's like criminals are a cowardly superstitious lot i shall become a bat is bruce yeah, Wayne looking out a window seems similar to that for sure so that's like the revenge version and this is the guilt tortured version the emo version or whatever so it's, it's I mean, sort of like iconic in that way. There's the melodramatic panel, page seven, panel three, where Peter has caught Aunt May. Oh, yes. That's yes. sort of terrifying as terrifying an adult to look at. Yes. She's just collapsed. Or page four, panel three, that one I said before, Spidey blocking his eyes and webbing the debris. I mean, what are you going to do? This issue is crazy. But I'll um, stay I with was what I um and uh, I was at a wedding with my uh, wife and she was uh, at that time, my girlfriend and um, her dad collapsed oh while, while Kat was in the bathroom. I, uh, and, and I, that panel reminds me of that moment of like, I was near him, not near enough to catch him. Uh, and he's got like relatives that are doctors that are, <laughs> he collapsed in the right place. Like there was like two doctors yeah. in attendance and everything like that. But I remember just going, Oh my God, Kat's going to come out of the bathroom and her dad's going to be dead. Yeah. 
Is that, and that I, don't, flash I, have, I don't know what to tell her. I don't know what to do. I felt powerless. And like yeah. that panel, the lines like shooting off of Peter is just a shock. Ugh. This wasn't even my dad, but I was like, I felt that. I was like, oh no, the worst thing that could happen just happened. Yeah. Somebody passing out is it's terrifying. Even if it ends up being no big deal. And the moment it happens, you're like, yeah. what, what is this? And ended up being severe dehydration and he's uh, still around today. Oh, good. Um, anyway, lots of good panels is I think what we're saying. Yeah, but I'll stay with my pick. I'll do the college montage one. Yeah, I'm not changing my pick either. All right, what about a uh, Stanley dialogue? Um, yeah, I had one. Let me find it again. Um, you want to go? Do you have one? Yeah, I do. Oh, I got mine. I'm ready. Mine is uh, page okay. 13. Okay. The last line of dialogue on page 13 where Flash Thompson says, I don't get it. Chicks always seem to go for these egg-headed skinny creeps. <laughs> that is a great one. That's it's a- very funny because one... Peter's not a creep. He's not skinny. I mean, he's, he's a good looking dude, but I'm also, gonna... but from Flash's point of view, the nerdiest <laughs> kid that he's known keeps getting women. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to give Stan some props. I, I often do like picking outrageous Stanley dialogue, but I'm going to do page six panel two. The one I said before, May is watching Peter walk off to college and it's like, he's just like his father, cheerful, enthusiastic, and bright. He's been like a son to me all these years. Just like the simple emotional truth of what makes that moment important. I think that Stan doesn't get enough credit for he really does know a lot of times when it's time to make a joke and when it's time to underline the story point. Uh, and I think he is really good at when to turn on the not not 100 percent good, but he's usually really good at when to be a wise, wise ass and when to be earnest. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to give him. Props for being just earnest and straightforward there. I mean, as much as this is a Steve Ditko production, Stanley does a lot of good work in this issue, keeping it moving, explaining what's going on. Uh, the, the quips are, I mean, essential. Experiment still makes jokes during this first fight. Uh, he makes jokes even during the second fight where you think he needs to let loose a little bit. Yeah. Um, even though it's melodramatic, his, his stuff in the college with with making showing you how everyone's learned to hate him sort of helps you buy that this has happened. Yep. Um, and the, even the caption box that says like, unbeknownst to Peter, everyone has turned on him. I think that's an essential caption box. There's not yeah. many of those caption boxes that I think you needed, but I think it needed to be hit one more time that Peter doesn't know this is happening. Yeah. Um, Stanley is a really good editor and he's a really good story uh editor and and he and he knows he knows what makes the engine run um and i yeah i agree he's he's great in this too he's 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 relegated to a more limited role because of what ditko's doing but he he does it perfectly all right how about your highlights highlight oh man um i guess that um man what do i pick as my highlight so many parts i could pick uh i'm gonna pick I'm going to pick Aunt May's initial collapse. And it's like a, the emotional thrill of that. Yeah. Just the coming off of Peter, like going to college and registering and kind of coming home and being happy and just like, boom, it's all over that like top, like three panels on page seven uh, where it's just like, uh Oh, nope, nothing's not. It felt like things were going too well. They aren't. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole, it's hard because the whole issue is a highlight. Uh, I'll say, and I already kind of highlighted the college thing with my panel pick. All right. My highlight's going to be Gwen Stacy. Uh, 
it's uh, I understand your complaint about her compared to other uh, Spidey suitors, but um, I you know she's a step up from where we've been um, recently, and I like that move. So uh, it adds, she adds a lot by being part of the story. So I'm going to say that Gwen Stacy's my high. Um, so low lights. So normal disclaimer we have for these great issues when they're really great like this. I don't think there is a low light. There really isn't a low light. Um, if I had to pick one, I don't care about Patch as Frederick that's Foswell. That's what I was say. I almost would like Patch more if he was somebody Foswell knew. If he was legit. Like I, the Patch identity, I, yeah, it's but it, he doesn't hurt the story. So, but yeah, no, it doesn't hurt it. I'm less interested in that's my least interesting part for me. So I'll pick that as my low light also. Me, even the Betty stuff, which I normally am tired of by this point, this it's only like six panels and I buy it. It's not too dramatic. It's like, look, I need to talk to my ex before I marry you. I love it. I love it. I, uh, I, I I'm into the melodrama, so I would never pick that yeah. as my low light. So we have the same low light. Um, all right. Uh, no reader mail. Uh, we've already gone a little bit long. Maybe we should just, or do you want to do recommendations? I want to do a quick recommendation. Okay, let's do it. Because I told you, I have a thing. So for the next three episodes, I'm going to talk about recommendations of like long arcs, that okay. I, long runs that I've liked. Yes, that's right. And then I'm picking out like, I guess what would be the equivalent of the master planner saga of each of those. Okay. Uh, so the long run that I'm thinking of, like w- w- one of the longest runs I ever collected was Peter David's run on The Incredible Hulk. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was maybe the second title I subscribed to as a child. And uh, which means like the comic book shop would set aside an issue of the Hulk for me every issue. I didn't start right away with Peter David's, but I kind of halfway through his first arc that was drawn by Todd McFarlane, some nobody who went on to draw Spider-Man and Spawn and make billions of dollars. Probably never heard of him. Probably never heard of him. If you've you've read comics, you probably don't know who Todd McFarlane is. Um, But yeah, uh, uh, Peter David had did a really long run on the Hulk like 10, 12 years, probably something in that range. And, um, in the middle of it, there was this arc where, um, Banner has turning into a Hulk at night at this point. He's only turning into the Hulk at night and the Hulk he turns into is a gray Hulk who's less powerful than the green Hulk we're used to from the movies and television shows. But he's also like smarter and more conniving. And, uh, somebody kidnaps Betty his Betty, not Betty Brandt, but Betty, Betsy uh, Ross, uh, Betsy Ross, sorry, Betsy. And, uh, in front of him, it is during the day and Banner can't stop them. Cause he, he's not the Hulk and he turns into the green Hulk. Ooh. Has, has, had not happened in this run at all that we thought the green Hulk was behind him. We thought he was just this gray evil Hulk turns into the green Hulk, green Hulk rescues Betsy. Uh, and this leads into like a very short storyline where, there's basically two Hulks. Sometimes he turns into this green, dumb, angry Hulk. And sometimes at night he turns into the gray conniving Hulk. There's even a day where he's going to turn into the green Hulk and the gray Hulk's like, no, let me out. Don't let that green Hulk out. Hmm. Like Banner has like a mental gymnastics where the gray Hulk comes out during the day where he's at his weakest, but the gray Hulk doesn't want to give up ground. And it's like, he's got all these personalities kind of going. And there's a storyline where Doc Samson, uh, a therapist, helps Banner unite all his personalities into one Hulk. So Mm. Banner, the gray Hulk and the green Hulk all become sort of this amalgamated Hulk. So for a while that's the status quo. And those storylines are pretty good, but the storyline that led up to basically Banner becoming this new Hulk 
that's sort of a combination of all these personalities was so, I was so captivated by yeah. it. I couldn't imagine how it was going to pay off. I didn't know it was going there. Uh, it was drawn by Dale Keown, I think at that time. And it was really, really cool. And wow. it was probably the peak, I think, of Peter David's very long run. Wow. I, I, you've, I remember stories of the Gray Hulk, but I never knew or if I had forgotten about that, that one you just said. That's really cool. Yeah. And for a long time, that Green Hulk was the, the Hulk. That's the Hulk in the comics for a long time when he would show up in cro- uh, company-wide crossovers. It was sort of this amalgamated Hulk that was not, it wasn't like Banner controlling the Hulk. It wasn't Bruce Banner in control of the Hulk body because he was, he, there was an anger to him. There was a, a bite to him. There was an evilness to him because he was an amalgamation. He had all these sort of personalities. It was unclear. You know, it was like, this is what Banner should have been if he never had this personality issues that he had. And it's like not a great guy, yeah. not a bad guy, but not a great guy. Yeah. Definitely an arrogant guy. I don't know. It was a very interesting take, but just the build up to the amalgamation, I think was even better than the result. Anyway, that's my recommendation. I don't even know what issue numbers those would be. Um, I'm just going to talk about these arcs because uh, I'm not prepared ever. <laughs> no, I love it. That's a great recommendation. Um, I have no recommendations because I don't read comics. Um, that's <laughs> so, um, well, uh, everybody, I hope I hope you uh, listened and enjoyed it. I hope you read issue thirty-one. And next uh, episode, we'll go over issue thirty-two. Oh, yeah! And, and yeah. please email us at screwitspidey at gmail right. And uh, you can also check our Instagram out at screwitspidey uh, and screwitspidey is also on Twitter. Yeah, but definitely email us. We didn't have any emails this week. We read a ton last week, so uh, we're ready for new ones. Give, give us your thoughts. We need them. And um, Kevin, good episode. Yeah, well, good episode. I'm looking forward to the next one. Bye, everybody. Screw it, screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Hi, I'm Amanda Salvatore. And I'm Jackie Ray Bell, And we are the hosts of Guilty Pleasure, the podcast that celebrates, elaborates, and experiences our odd interests. We talk with comedians, writers, and artists about their chosen guilty pleasure, like LARPing, Burning Man, Keanu Reeves, Alan Iverson, television shows, 60s and 70s rock and roll, and the list basically goes on and on and on. If you'd like to check us out, we have a new episode every single Monday. Delivered to you from Campfire Media. Find us on iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening. Campfire.